Good morning, Edward Road Baptist Church. All right, man. All right. Take your Bibles and find John chapter 20. And as you uh, go to John chapter 20, let me just say, I didn't say this in the first service, but it is so good to see a lot of people that we haven't seen in a while. And I know um, that you're glad you're in the, the house of the Lord. And so um, that's just a good feeling, isn't it? Uh, the fellowship. And second of all, uh, Thursday is the National Day of Prayer. And uh, usually we open up the church at night so people can come and pray. This year what we're going to do is we're going to have a prayer lunch on Thursday of this week. And um, that lunch is a Chick-fil-A uh, lunchbox, $5. And if you'd like to come join us at 1145 to 1215 for lunch, um, just take your bulletin insert and this little thing right here, fill that out. Um, you can give it to me. You can put it in the offering boxes in the back, offering plates in the back. And, um, or if you would just like to call the church, if you need to think about it, and you would like to call later this week, please do so. But we need your registration uh, by Tuesday uh, night. And so what we're going to do is we're going to eat from 11.45, 12.15. We're going to pray for the rest of that hour till 1 o'clock. So please um, try to join us if you can. Also, if you can't join us on Thursday, on the back of the sermon notes is a prayer guide, wherever you're at, home, the office, um, you can take that prayer guide and, and pray for our nation. But we really need to pray for our country. We need to pray for the whole world, but we need to pray for our country. Our country stands in need of revival. Um, also, uh, we need to continue to pray for Reese and uh, Caitlin Gratz as they have uh, gone to London, England to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be missionaries. And so let's pray for them and let's lift them up to the Lord in prayer. I don't know if they're listening to us by streaming. I'm sure they stayed up to listen to, to the sermon today, but I, I just want to say to them, man, we love you guys. We miss you already and we're praying for you. All right. John chapter 20, starting in verse number 24. I pray before we even read scripture that God will bless the reading of his word in our hearing this morning. Now, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Now, at this point, I would have been a believer. How about you, right? I would have said, my Lord, my God, right there. And Jesus said to him, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it uh, into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I pray that the Lord will truly bless the reading of his word. We are closing out our study in the Gospel of John, and we're doing so by looking at the post-resurrection encounters that Jesus had with his disciples. Uh, whenever he met with his disciples, whenever he confronted them after um, his resurrection. Uh, two weeks ago, we, we looked at uh, Mary Magdalene, when she came to the tomb and Jesus was not there and, and how the resurrection healed her disappointment. Last week, we started our study about uh, who we call Doubting Thomas and his doubt. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. But today, what I'd like to do is just close out my sermon from last week. 
And so we start this morning with Jesus the resurrection. We pick up from last week, Thomas, uh, who we call Doubting Thomas, is really unbelieving Thomas. If if you read the text and you really look at it, uh, Thomas isn't just doubting here. Thomas is unbelieving. Um, In verse number, uh, look at 25, the disciples come to him and they say, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And he just flat out tells them, unless I see this and I see that, I will never believe. And literally in the Greek language, he's saying, I will never believe this. I will never believe that you have seen the Lord unless I see the proof. It's conditional unbelief. Unless I will never, ever believe. And then Jesus doesn't walk into the room. Jesus just kind of transforms into the room. And there Jesus is, and he still has the scars from the brutal crucifixion. And then all of a sudden, Thomas's doubt begins to melt away, and he believes. Thomas's faith has found a resting place. Thomas's faith has found a foundation in the resurrected Jesus Christ. Let me just kind of add to that this morning, and this may get a little bit philosophical and theological, but let me just add to this. We need to remember as believers in Jesus Christ that our faith is not a foundationless faith. Are you with me? Our faith is not a foundationless faith. Mark Twain gave a definition of the word faith. He said, faith is believing what you know ain't so. He said, faith is believing what you know ain't so. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians kind of believe in a definition of faith like Mark Twain gave. You know, it's just a, you know, like Soren Kierkegaard, the, the, the Danish philosopher. It's just kind of a, a leap into the dark. I mean, there's no foundation. There's really no information that we can predicate our faith upon. Um, there's no really understanding. It's just kind of a, a leap of faith. But the Bible never teaches that. The Bible teaches us that our faith in Jesus Christ and our faith in the Word of God is a faith that has a foundation. And that foundation is manyfold. Number one, we have the foundation of creation. The Bible says that nature or creation declares the glory of God. And it declares the glory of God by declaring that nature is so fine-tuned and nature is so intricately made that there has to be a, a grand architect, a designer, an intelligent designer behind creation. There are a lot of scientists who were atheists and even agnostics and because they have seen the complexity of, of, of biological life, the complexity of the cell, and the complexity of, of DNA, and all these other things, they are now saying, well, we may not be a Christian, but there has to be a great mind behind all of creation. If you want to read up a little bit more on that, Stephen Meyer, you know, I, I recommended his book last week, has a great book on that, um, The Return of the God Hypothesis. And so that, that would be well worth the read. But we know that the glory of God declares that he is the cosmic architect of all that is. And it's not only creation, but it's also the reliability of the Old Testament. More and more archaeology is uncovering evidence of the reliability of the Old Testament. Also, you know, there's the reliability of the New Testament. And whenever you go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, 
and you read about the great hall of faith. Y'all know, y'all know that what I'm talking about. Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. Listen, they had faith. Yes, they did. But their faith was predicated. It was founded upon evidence. They heard from God. They saw the miracles of God. And so they had a firm place to rest their foundation. But the strongest, the strongest foundation that we have to rest our faith on is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, now Paul didn't write in chapters, they were added later. But, but Paul has a very long, 58 verses, I think, the last time I checked, 58 verses where he talks about the power of the resurrection and the um, intrinsic nature, the importance of the resurrection in the life of the believer. He begins by starting out in chapter 15 about, he, he, he enumerates the witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he goes into his uh, philosophical uh, teaching where he says, if Christ has not been risen, then we are pitiful people. If Christ has not been risen, then everything that we have done for the cause of Christ, everything that we are doing for the cause of Christ, even being here this morning, if Christ has not risen, then everything is absolutely in vain. You know what Paul was telling us? He was saying that our faith rests upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, if you can disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all the cards crumble. The house of cards just collapses. And there have been many uh, atheists and agnostics who have sought to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they have offered up their many theories. Uh, one of the most popular uh, many decades ago was the swoon theory. Um, and I'm not going to go over these one at a time, but the swoon theory was extremely popular. That Jesus Christ just kind of swooned, he kind of fainted, and they put him in the tomb, and then he woke up, and then, you know, even in, in, the, in the face of losing, you know, unbelievable amounts of blood and being tortured, he rips off a hundred you know, plus pounds of grave clothes. He rolls the stone away. And I don't know about y'all, but even on my weakest day, I can roll a two-ton stone away. I'm just that strong. I know y'all have faith in me. And so Jesus did that in his, you know, weakened state. And then he whooped the Hong Kong Fui out of the Roman guards. And, And folks, it's just ridiculous. It really is. And that real popular swoon theory has gone the way of the dinosaur and disco, and people don't even claim it anymore. Then you have the stolen body theory. Then you have the hallucination theory that that all the disciples hallucinated the same thing at the one time, and there's a problem with that. You know, people, groups of people don't hallucinate the same thing at one time. And so theory after theory after theory has been swatted down, swatted down, swatted down, swatted down. But the most remarkable evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ are the changed lives of the disciples. Who were the disciples when Jesus was crucified? They were cowards. They went and they hid themselves. But after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, something happened to the disciples and they became very, very bold. They became, they went from unbelieving to believing and then they gave their life as martyrs. No one, unless you're just absolutely out of your mind, no one will give their life for a lie. And you have more than just 12 disciples who gave their life for the resurrected Jesus after they saw him. And so whenever we gather on Easter Sunday morning, I believe, listen, he's risen every second of the day. Amen? Y'all with me this morning? 
I mean, he is risen every second of the day. I understand that. But Easter is very important. That's when whenever we come, and as a congregation, as a body of Christ, we confess he is risen. And whenever Clay or I get behind the pulpit and we say he is risen, with confidence, with confidence, you can reply, he has risen what? He has risen indeed. Absolutely. You know, I was watching a really important documentary the other day on the existence of Bigfoot. <laughs> I mean, man, I, you know, you got a weird pastor, brother. I mean, you got, I mean, and I don't, listen, I don't go out of here saying your pastor believes in Bigfoot. Man, don't do that. No one will ever visit this church if you do that. I just like to hear what they're going to say, how they're going to try to prove it. And all right, so anyway, I know you are interested in this, so I need to get to the story. But this, they were interviewing people who believed in Bigfoot. And some of the people who believed in Bigfoot believed that he could transport himself from one place to the other just automatically, like, like, kind of like Jesus did. They believed that. And one guy is a, prof- a tenured professor in a university in the Northwest, and he is a professor of anthropology and, um, and anatomy. And they're interviewing him, and, he sa- and they asked him, do you believe in Bigfoot? He said, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe. Let me get... No, I don't believe, but I believe in the evidence. And so they asked him, well, do you believe there's evidence for the the Bigfoot? He said, yes, I do. And they said, what is it? And he said, it's the footprints. And he brings out this plaster mold of a Bigfoot print. I've got one in my office I'll show y'all later. But, (laughs) and and I was, and I'm not going to make fun of him. I'm not making fun of him. But I just, I just thought, What? And I rewound it three times to make sure I was hearing what he was saying, that I was receiving what he was passing. I mean, I was just trying to figure this out. And so I say that to say this, don't let anyone ever tell you that your belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is irrational. Because it's very rational. Why? It's because it's built upon eyewitness evidence. And those eyewitnesses gave their life for the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so if Jesus Christ is risen, then he is a pretty special guy, right? Would y'all say that? And the best description that we can give to Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, is the description that Luke gave him in verse number 28. The only conclusion that, that Thomas, excuse me, that Thomas could come at was, my Lord, my God. And like I said before, man, if somebody, you know, you know, went through a door, a locked door, man, I, I would have come to that conclusion already. I wouldn't have to have a conversation. But Thomas gets it right. The only conclusion that he could come to is my Lord and my God. And if Jesus Christ has risen, then he is the way. Now you think about that. Either he is or he isn't. He is or he isn't. If he is risen, then he is the way. If he is risen, then he is the truth. He is the living in flesh Torah of God. If he is risen, then he is the life. If he is risen like we've studied in the book of John, he is the light of the world, the light of all men. If he is risen, then he is living water. If he is risen, then he is the manna. He is the bread come from God Almighty. He is what he is. And if Jesus Christ is risen and he is what he is, then we reason from the resurrection. 
You see, what do you mean by that reasoning from the resurrection? If Jesus Christ is risen, follow me on this, if Jesus Christ is risen, then he has to be the truth and he has to be right about all things. He is right about being the Messiah, the Yeshua HaMashiach, come to the Jews. He is the Messiah. If Jesus Christ is risen, then his teaching um, is right. It is the truth. His teaching on creation, his teaching on faith, his teaching on sin, his teaching on marriage is the truth. If Jesus Christ is risen, then his view of the Old Testament is the view that we ought to take of the Old Testament. If Jesus Christ is risen, then that resurrection validates what he did on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. Do you see what I'm talking about? About reasoning from the resurrection. If he has risen, then all of these things are true. If he has risen, then he is Lord. He is Lord of life, and he is Lord of death. He is the Lord of all creation. And what Jesus thought about creation should be our thoughts about creation if he has risen from the dead. And not only that, but just to cap it off, if Jesus said he's coming again, and if Jesus Christ is resurrected, then guess what he's going to do? Come on, y'all, this isn't rocket surgery. I mean, what's he going to do? He's going to come again. He's going to come again again. And you want, man, there, there are just times in life where you just have to have faith. But remember that faith, are y'all with me this morning? That, that faith is always predicated upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Always. Whenever we ask the question, Lord, why is there so much evil and suffering in this world? We know that we can have faith in God because of the resurrection we can have faith in him. And remember what I said last week, one of the mantras that, that I, one of the sayings that kind of, that I kind of had to repeat to myself whenever I was my freshman year in college, whenever I, I told you all last week, I was swimming in doubt. I was drowning in it. And then I came to the conclusion, if he is risen, that he is truth and he is the life and he is the way. And if he is risen, there is a reason. I may not know what God is doing. I may not know what God is up to. But if he is risen, then there is a reason. You know, but, but Lord, I have doubts. Why did my spouse walk away from me? Why does my spouse treat me this way? You know, what about my children? What about, what about this and what about that? Brothers and sisters, we need to have faith that if he is risen, then there is a reason. And that is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't know if this story is apocryphal or if it's true or not. But it really illustrates the point about the power and the meaning of the resurrection. Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, pretty much almost the dictator, the emperor of France, won many, many battles um, and conquests in the name of France. But there was one country that stood in his way of total conquest. And it is said that he brought his generals around him and he, he, he opened up a map, scrolled out a map on a table, and he said, men, he said, we could take Europe if it wasn't for this red dot. Do you know what that red dot was? It was England. It was England. And all the skeptics and atheists and agnostics and the devil himself say, we could take Christianity we could raise it to the ground if it wasn't for that red dot. You know what that red dot is? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he is risen, then there's a reason. There's a reason. And then, you know, before I, I go on to my last point this morning, sometimes, and we have to admit this, 
that for some people, there is no amount of evidence that will make them believe. No amount of evidence at all. You know, when you go to Matthew chapter 28, whenever Jesus Christ is getting ready to give His disciples the Great Commission, um, it says that they were gathered with Him and some doubted. Some doubted Him. And, and, and for you all that are doubting, doubting is different than unbelief. We talked about that last week. It's much different than unbelief. But if you are doubting, just be assured that your faith has a foundation, a resting place. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and everything that we talked about, those foundations. But there are some people who would just absolutely disbelieve, just like Thomas in verse 24. I mean, just absolutely, I will not believe. And, and as I was studying through Revelation, we're getting ready to start Revelation on June 6th. Um, in chapter 16 of Revelation, and you can read it later, the Bible is, is describing God pouring out bowls of wrath on the earth. I mean, he's just unleashing torrents of wrath. And it says in chapter 16 that those who were receiving the wrath gnashed or gnawed their tongue and they cursed God and they would not repent. Man, I'm going to tell you something. Man, he dumps a half a bowl out on me. I'm going to repent. Amen. I don't know about you. I'm repenting. I'm getting on my knees. But they still would not believe. But we can rejoice that Thomas, you know, moved from unbeliever to believer. He moved from just an unbeliever to a confessor by saying, my Lord and my God. And let's just look at that phrase just for a moment. I tell you what, let's just read back through this. Verse number 27, then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Let's do a little bit of textual thinking here. A lot of people say, and a lot of cults will say, who disbelieve the deity of Jesus Christ, they will say, well, Thomas wasn't saying that to Jesus, but Thomas was looking up to heaven and saying, my Lord, my God, you know, he is alive. That's, that's totally false. If anybody ever tells you that, that is wrong. In the Greek language, the word autos, you know, Thomas is saying this to Jesus Christ, to him, my Lord and my God. And there is no other conclusion that Thomas could come to. He came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ, if he has risen, thinking about all the things that he has taught Thomas and all the things that he did, all the miracles, that Jesus Christ, because he has risen, is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our honor. He's worthy of our glory. And he ought to receive our worship. He ought to receive our honor. And he ought to receive our glory. Even when we doubt, and even when we doubt, we ought to confess him as Lord. We ought to confess him as Lord. Lord, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand this. I, I don't know about this. I, I don't have a lot of information about it. But, but Lord, I'm still going to confess you as Lord. I'm still going to give my honor and my glory and my worship where it's supposed to be, even when I have questions, even when I have doubts. Last night, we were all sitting on the back porch, and um, I had my laptop out. And I was finishing up my sermon as we were all sitting around and doing certain things in the backyard. And, and I asked my kids, I said, you know, whenever you don't understand what dad is up to, and that's often in our house, <laughs> more often than not, believe me, man. And I said, when you don't know what dad is up to, what do you call me? I mean, I mean, do you call me a big old liar? Is that what you call me? 
I mean, you call me, man, you know, dad's good. No, you call me dad. You call Jill mom. You use those terms. You see, words like dad and mom are not only terms of endearment, they're, ter- they're terms of trust. And even when you don't know what's going on, you still use those titles, mom and dad. It's endearment, yes, but it's also a confession of trust. That a parent, most parents on this, most parents on this earth have their kids' best interests at heart. Would y'all agree with that? About two of you. But do y'all agree with that? <laughs> I can. T- Maybe I should ask your kids that. All right. You know, you, you have your seriously. And, and I would hope that my kids call me dad, not only as a term of endearment, but also that my dad has my best interests at heart. My dad would lay down his life for me in a skinny second. No doubt in my mind. And not only that, but when children use this confession, they're also saying you know, that, that parents, parents have more wisdom and experience and power. Power. Power, right? Then their kids, I used to tell my kids, man, they would bow up at me. I would say, I'm not scared of you. I'm a lot bigger than you are. I can't say that now. But anyway, and so they, they trust in that. And that is why we keep calling Jesus Christ Lord and Master. Because even when we don't know, even when we have those doubts, even serious doubts, those what-ifs, we still call Him Lord and Master. Because if we can trust our earthly parents like that, how much more should we trust an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God? Are, did y'all get that? Did y'all get that? How much more should we trust an omniscient, all-wise, all-just Lord? And so we confess Him with Thomas, our brother, as Lord. And then the last point is we need to understand some things about God and, and really apply them to our doubt this morning. And I'm going to give you three passages, and then I'm going to close with some church history. Whenever we think about doubt and about what God is up to. We need to remember Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. Isaiah 55, 8. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. A lot of times when we don't know why, when we don't know what God is up to, we don't know what He's trying to do in our lives or in our family's life, we need to remember that our thoughts are not His thoughts. His thoughts are so much more wiser than our thoughts. They're so much more merciful and gracious. His ways are higher than our ways. And let me just say this, man. If I had, if, if I just went my own way, if I just went my own way, and I just, and I just released the bonds of the Word of God and faith, I would be dead right now. I would be dead. And not only that, but if you ever get a chance sometime, read Job 38, 1 through 25. Read Job 38. Powerful, powerful scripture where Job begins to talk back to God. And basically, God says, Oh, oh, Job, where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And God is not saying that we shouldn't ever question, we should never have doubt. No, but we need to put it in perspective that He is Lord and He is God. 
And then you go to the end of the book of Romans. And we studied Romans, what, a couple, a couple years ago. And Romans 9, 10, and 11 are some of the most difficult passages of Scripture in the Bible. I mean, in my life, I mean, nothing touches them. Romans 9, 10, 11. And, and, and Paul ends those difficult passages with this. And listen to what he says. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and untraceable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has first given to God that God should repay him? For for him and from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Do you know what Paul is doing there? Paul is saying there are some some things I don't understand. There are some things that I will never know. There are some things in, in, in that are happening in this Greco-Roman world that just blow my mind. I don't understand why God just doesn't wipe everybody out. There are some things I don't understand, but he ends with the confession that God is Lord. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And Paul is speaking from the foundation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What happened to Thomas? He went from disciple to unbeliever to believer. And we believe, I don't know if this is true or not, but we believe that Thomas was probably one of the first missionaries to the Far East. Um, as far as church legend and you know uh, goes, we believe Thomas probably made it down to the western tip of India. Um, and there in India, he gave his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why, you know, that Thomas is the patron saint of India. Isn't that interesting? And that a very popular name in India is Toma, which is short for Thomas. And so, did he make it to India? We believe so. But what is interesting is there in India, Thomas gave his life for Jesus Christ. And Thomas would have not given his life for Jesus Christ if he was not risen. There's no way in the world. I don't know about you, but if, if I was following around a teacher that said, you know, that he was God and so forth, and he was the Messiah and he was, you know, executed and he didn't rise from the grave, there is no way in the world that I would go to Traveler's Rest as a missionary and give my life for the people of Traveler's Rest to hear the gospel. Would you? Would you? I wouldn't. He is risen. And because He is risen, there is a reason. And I pray that you will take your doubt to the empty tomb. Whatever doubt, whatever question you might have. And I pray that once again that you will realize if He is resurrected, if He is risen, there's a reason. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray that God will burn these truths into our hearts. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's bow our head and close our eyes this morning as we put an amen to the service. This morning, if, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that today that you will do that. I pray that you will realize, according to the gospel, according to the Word of God, 
that your sin has come between you and a holy and righteous God. In other words, your sin has come between you and a right relationship with God the Father. And I believe that everybody, everybody wants a right relationship with God. I mean, even people that might consider themselves unbelievers and agnostics, I believe they want to know that they have a right standing before God. And before we can ever have a right standing before God, we have to do something with our sin. Sin is real. Sin has disrupted. It's a great disruptor between our relationship with our Creator. And God knows our plight. And so God the Father sent Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, to come to this earth and to wrap Himself with flesh, to become the God-man, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And here on the earth, Jesus Christ lived the life that we were supposed to live. Jesus' life, Jesus Christ lived the Torah. He lived the law, the Ten Commandments, perfectly for me and for you. We couldn't do it on our best day, on our best behavior. We can't do it. And not only that, but Jesus Christ went to the cross. He took my sin upon himself. The Bible says that he became sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus Christ, I don't understand it, but he became sin for me, and he paid the penalty. He paid the price for my sin. He paid that debt that I owed. He paid it for me. They put him in a borrowed tomb, and three days he rose again. And now he stands at the right hand of the throne of God. He makes intercession for me. And and if you believe, and if you confess with your mouth, and if you believe with your heart that Jesus Christ is risen, and you repent of your sins this morning, you will be saved. And you will come into a right relationship with God the Father. And I pray that you'll do that this morning. I pray that you will not put it off. I pray that that will be your confession before you head out these doors, because we are not promised another breath in this life. And I pray, I pray, I pray that you will know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. Child of God, you know you're saved, born again. You know your salvation is secure in Jesus Christ, but you're having doubts. Take your doubts to the empty tomb. It may be doubts about the existence of God, maybe some things that have, you know, what-ifs that have come into your mind about evil and suffering, or even just about personal relationships that have been broken, that have been strained, you've been wounded, or whatever. Um, There's maybe just some misunderstanding, whatever. Take it to the resurrected Lord. I don't mean to be trite or to give simple advice this morning, but seriously, take it to the empty tomb. Know, Romans 8, 28, that all things, all things, because he has risen, all things, good and bad, even tragedy, work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Go to him, child of God. Father, we, we pray that you'll bless this invitation as we meditate upon what we've heard, as we give our lives back to your word and to the fact of the resurrection. Lord, I pray, God, that we'll be merciful to those who doubt, and that we'll um, minister to those who are having very serious doubts. Lord, I pray that we'll be quick to give the gospel, the shalom of your word to those who are unbelieving. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning that you'll save those who need to be saved. I pray, Father, that you'll minister. Uh, Through your Holy Spirit, you'll minister to people who just need to be ministered to. Lord, they're hurting for whatever reason. And, Lord, I pray that we'll all meet you back at the empty tomb this morning. 
And we can say, even many weeks after Easter, that you have risen. And because you've risen, there's a reason. And we ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people said. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Edwards Road Baptist Church. We hope you are meaningfully involved in a local church. But if you aren't, we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings as we worship God and hear from His Word together. You can find more information about our church by visiting our website at edwardsroad.org.